can open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. That's where we're going to be spending our time tonight, 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, I'm glad to be with you. As Wayne said, my name's JC, and uh, I'm an intern technically of Harvest here, but serving at Grace Fellowship in Zealand. So I bring you greetings from Grace Fellowship, and we are just so thankful for your guys' investment in us there, for your love for us, your prayers for us, for your support of us, and it's just been a joy to be able to see what God's doing there, and um, I'm privileged and honored to be able to come share God's Word with you tonight and um, kind of have that uh, cross-pollination from Grace Fellowship to get to come and serve here at Harvest, and uh, it's, it's been a joy for my wife and I to be a part of uh, the extended family, if you will. So, let's look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, the privilege of looking at God's Word tonight. Uh, We'll be looking particularly at of chapter 1 of 2 Peter, verses 1 to 11, but I'll read through to verse 15. This is God's holy word. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you love to reveal Christ through your word. You love to reveal to us how we ought to live for our joy, for our progress in the faith. Lord, you have given us your word, and we ask that your spirit would be present to open our minds and hearts to hear and receive whatever it is you would say to us this evening. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. So imagine for me, if you will, that you have a friend, and you have 
found out that your friend has acquired a new piece of property. Your friend has a new piece of property, so your friend has moved there, and so, so you ask him, oh, how, how's that new place? How are things going there? And he says, well, to be honest, it's actually not going that good. And I think, oh, wh why is that? He says, well, it, you know, it's, it's cold, and I actually really don't feel safe, and I'm, 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 I'm not warm, and I'm not feeling very productive, and I'm not, I'm actually kind of miserable. And so you think, this is really odd. So you go with your friend, like, okay, I'm going to come and see your place. So you go with him to go see his place, and you show up, and he's been given this beautiful property. And you look over the property and realize there's no house. There's no building here, just a cement slab, a foundation. So you say, well, no wonder you're cold and miserable and feeling unsafe and not feeling warm and all these things, because you haven't built on the foundation. You haven't built a house. I trust the analogy here is not lost on you that the reason why it seems that so many of us, we live our Christian life not feeling the warmth and joy that we wish we had in our faith. There's times, I'm sure you feel this way, like I do, it's like, where's the fruit in my life? What's this worth? What am I doing? And maybe even a fear of, um, I, I've seen prominent Christian leaders fall away from the faith. How do I know my faith will stand? How do I know that my faith will remain sure? And this is a similar situation to the believers that Peter's writing to are in. This whole letter is really concerned with attacks on the church coming from false teachers. False teachers who are not only teaching um, untruths, but are teaching a false way of living, a way of life that's filled with sensuality and immorality and all these things. And Peter's concerned to fortify the faith of these Christians, that they not fall away. And furthermore, that not only they would not fall away, but they would actually bear fruit and be effective in their faith where they're at. And so, we have this same need. If we are to have a faith that's going to be strong and stand firm in the midst of a secular age, and not only to stand firm, if we're going to have a faith that's fruitful and bears fruit for God's kingdom, we need to heed Peter's instruction in this text. And Peter's solution, his instruction for both these things, comes in the command he gives us in verse 5 where he says, make every effort to supplement your faith. Make every effort to supplement your faith, to add to your faith, to furnish your faith, to build on the foundation of your faith. That's the way to a fruitful and faithful life as a Christian. And perhaps you're, perhaps you're wondering right off the bat here, like, okay, just, just wait a second. We, we're saved by faith alone, right? Uh, it, you're talking about adding to your faith, needing to supplement your faith. That seems sketchy by, by all accounts. Um, we're, we're Protestants. We believe that faith is the key here. So that's, that's a valid concern. That's a good concern. So uh, l let me allay your fears in saying that we don't add to our faith to curry God's favor, or to find God's forgiveness. 
but we add to our faith to experience the fruitfulness and the firmness that God intends for us. It's not for forgiveness, it's for fruitfulness. In verse 1, Peter tells us that, tells believers, um, he writes to those who have obtained a faith, a faith that's been given to them. We know that faith is the gift of God. God gives faith through His grace, and He says that this faith is by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, a foundation of faith, if you will, is a foundation built of Christ's righteousness. It's given by the righteousness of Christ. We, we love that hymn, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So, the foundation we're building on is a foundation comprised of Christ's righteousness. And this is really important to remember because if we get this wrong and start to think that we will build our own foundation of our own righteousness, that's a foundation of sand that you cannot build a Christian life on. Building a life um, of standing before God based on your own works is not how to have a firm foundation. It must be the righteousness of Christ. And faith comes along, and faith is how we attach ourselves, as it were, to that foundation of Christ's righteousness. So we must always remember that. By faith, we, re- we receive Christ's righteousness as the grounds of our standing with God. And if we're standing on Christ's righteousness, then we're standing holy and blameless and above reproach in God's sight, fully forgiven, fully, full recipients of God's favor. So that's the foundation. But why are you given a foundation except that you would build upon it? The, the very existence of a foundation implies the oughtness of building upon that foundation. And so we see a movement here. Yes, we stand on Christ's righteousness, but we're called to pursue a life. Uh, there's an, ad, an, an old adage I remember hearing many years ago where it says that, yes, we are saved by faith alone and not by works, but the faith that saves is never alone. But true saving faith is always accompanied by a saving change in our lives. We, uh, we, we love that scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 about the gift of God's grace and faith. In Ephesians 2, 8, it says, by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace you've been saved. And not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not of us at all. It's God's gift. Not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. You see, it, it continues here, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even one of our favorite passages about the gracious gift of faith itself moves on to the need to build on our faith with good works. And Peter actually lists particular, seven particular qualities in this passage by which we can build on our faith. And so I just want to make it clear that we don't seek to build on our faith to obtain God's favor or forgiveness, but Peter tells us later on, what are the reasons why which we need to build on our faith, okay? So, uh, take, a, take a look there, down to verse 8. Here's what Peter says after listing these qualities we need to add, why we do this. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful 
in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which implies that if these qualities are yours and increasing, you will be effectual and you will be fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you want to have a fruitful faith? A faith that works and sees lasting change in the world around you. And it says if you don't add these qualities to your faith, you are so nearsighted that you're, it's like you're blind, having forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. Uh, to forget to build on your faith is like forgetting that God cleansed you and gave you this foundation in the first place. It's forgetting what God has called you to. Uh, Jesus says in John 15, 16, he says, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. This is God's call for us. Call for us. And he says, if, if you're not growing, it's like being nearsighted. Uh, if, if the statistics are accurate, about 40% of you guys in this room are nearsighted. About 40% of you guys are nearsighted. And what would it be like if you all just decided to stop utilizing your vision correction? So you all tomorrow woke up and decided, I don't need my glasses, I don't need my contacts. And depending on the severity of your prescription, what, what's going to happen to your life? You'll probably be less safe on your drive to work. You'll probably be less, less productive in what you're called to do. And you're going to miss out on seeing so much of the beautiful scenery all around you. And, and that's what it's like when we don't add to our faith. It's like being content to live this nearsighted life, missing out on the fullness and the joy and the fruitfulness that God has in store for each one of us. We don't want to live this nearsighted life. So we, we do this, we add to our faith that we might bear fruit unto God. But secondly, we add to our faith that we might have a firm, a firm faith that stands. Look at verse 10. Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. That's an incredible promise. You will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we, we fear the, the assaults on our faith. And what Peter is saying is that if you are diligent to add to your faith, you have a firmness and a steadiness and a confidence. He says it's actually a way of confirming your calling and election which is an interesting thought, to confirm your calling and election. What, he, what he's saying is that as you build on your faith with these different seven qualities, what it's doing is, is it's giving yourself, in a sense, a proof and assurance that you are indeed building on Christ. How, how do you confirm that you're actually one of God's chosen ones? How do you know that you're actually building on God's foundation? Well, if you're actually building a house of faith, there's no other way to build it than on the foundation of Christ. All other ground is sinking sand. And so you could say that as the house of our faith grows, so does our assurance grow with it. And he says not just you confirm your calling and election, but it says there will be provided for you a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. Another interesting thought. Um, perhaps we can think of here what it tells us in 1 Corinthians 3. There's this idea where Paul paints this picture that all of us who believe are building on the foundation of Christ, a house, and he says we choose to build with different materials, some with straw, some with wood, 
some with precious stones, and the judgment day shows what kind of work it was. Are we building a life that will be burned away, or a life and a faith that will stand on the day of judgment? And so to have a rich entrance provided into heaven is to have built with these qualities a faith such that when we come to God, we can say, God, I have built on the foundation of Christ. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. And here's the evidence. Here's what has been built through Christ, on Christ, by God's Spirit. And that faith we've built comes to confirm our election. It comes to give evidence and a proof to us and to others that we are building on Christ. And remember, this is in the context of false teachers, false teachers wanting to pull the church away, wanting to pull them away from holiness, away from faithfulness. And so it's essential to Peter that the church begin fortifying their faith with these sorts of qualities, that they would not just be fruitful, but be firm and faithful for God. And we've spent a good amount of time on this point, but it's essential, because if we swap out that foundation, if we don't make sure it's Christ first for favor and forgiveness, uh, we'll be all sorts of muddled. But it's not for favor or forgiveness. We add for fruitfulness and for faithfulness, because that's the kind of Christian life we want, one that's full of joy, one that's warm, one that's fruitful for God. And so as we seek to build, what, what sort of then building are we seeking to construct? Okay, we, we've seen the need to add to our faith. What sorts of things are we doing here? Well, Peter tells us seven very specific particular things. He says that we need to supplement our faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. It's a really unique and interesting set of qualities. And notice, it might be surprising to us, here's what Peter doesn't say. Peter doesn't say, make every effort to add to your faith daily prayer, maybe an annual fast, giving money to the poor, or, or at least one missions trip in your life, right? Don't you know you're supposed to do at least one missions trip in your life? Because do you actually know what religion that is? That's Islam. Those are the five pillars of Islam. You're a good Muslim if you add to your confession of faith daily prayer, an annual fast, a lifetime pilgrimage to Mecca, giving to the poor. And what's different about Christianity is that this is a faith that can't be faked. It's real and in the heart. And these qualities that Peter lists are graces. These are works of the Spirit of God internally, not just mere external actions. Because we could all go through the motions. We could all go through the rhythm of prayer, sitting in church, and think that we're building our faith. But it's not as much about what we're doing. It's more about who we are becoming. God is concerned with the transformation of our whole selves. And what's the transformation that we're seeking? The big picture, the house we're building, is that we might look more and more like Jesus. It's that we might be more and more conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Peter tells us just before these qualities in verse 4. He says, we've been given power, we've been given promises, so that through them you may become 
partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And then he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So what's the reason? It's because we have the opportunity to become partakers of the divine nature. That's a wild concept, partakers of the divine nature. And some, some people go all crazy with this and say this is a way that we like become God and grow up into God. No, that's not what it's saying. This is simply the idea that as we build on our faith with these qualities, we come more and more to resemble our divine Lord. We come to reflect those qualities of God that make Him beautiful and lovely to this world. And so the goal in all our spiritual addition is for spiritual formation. That is the conformity of our whole selves to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the destiny of the true believer. That's what we're told in Romans 8.29. It says, those whom God foreknew, he predestined. It's, this is the destiny to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren to be conformed to the image of Christ. Christ was the most joy-filled human that ever lived. The Lord Jesus Christ was eminently fruitful, perfectly faithful. And as we seek to become like him, we partake of his joy. We partake of the fullness of joy that he has access to in the Father. How would we not want to seek to reflect this beautiful Jesus Christ? And we can often think, talk about things like, yes, we want to be conformed to the image of Christ, but then think like, well, that's kind of a nebulous concept. Like, what would that actually look like to become more like Jesus? Well, you don't have to guess. Peter lists these seven qualities, seven specific points to work on by which you will grow more to resemble Jesus. It's almost as if, um, maybe, uh, here, here's an idea here. Um, I don't know, uh, boys and girls, if you guys have ever done a paint-by-number, you guys know what paint-by-number is? It's where you have, you have these outlines, and if you're not a very good colorer or painter, it tells you what colors to put in each one. It gives you a number and says, paint here. And I discovered that there's actually like adult versions of this where they're really intricate paint-by-numbers, and you actually can take um, a masterpiece painting, like say a Van Gogh or a Monet or a Rembrandt or whatever, and actually kind of replicate it using the paint-by-number system. Who knew? And this is actually really, I think, similar to what we're seeing going on here, that if you seek to paint these seven qualities into your life, these seven numbers, if you will, we grow more and more to reflect the masterpiece, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're never going to attain to the level of the masterpiece, but to follow the instructions God gives us in His Word, maybe we can look a little bit more like Jesus. Maybe you this year, by focusing on one or all of these qualities, can look more like Jesus by the end of the year than you do right now. Have more joy in your faith. Have more fruit. Have greater stability. That's worth pursuing. That's something worth going after. To look like Jesus, that's our goal. And so, let, let's look at these seven qualities briefly. Uh, we don't have time to go into depths of them, but I'd encourage you, as we look at these seven qualities briefly, think to yourself, which of these do I need most in my life? In which of these areas am I, am I most weak? 
And maybe just take time over the next season, the next couple months, to study this, to look this up, to think about it in your life, and to pray, to pray it over, how you can grow. Um, they're all essential. They can't be neglected. Uh, but we grow best when we focus on things one at a time and really target our hearts in very specific ways. So firstly, virtue. Virtue, this idea of adding virtue, this is a very holistic sort of term. And the idea of virtue is basically everything about someone's life that would be praiseworthy or commendable. Every sort of moral goodness wrapped up. Um, a way of life that is commendable that you would want to imitate. It's choosing the right, the right action, having, having the right things that you're doing in circumstances. So it really covers it. The virtuous life is the beautiful life. Um, have you ever like, heard someone make a comment? They're like, man, that's just a, such a, they're such a beautiful person. Like in reference to the way they live, that they just, their soul reflects beauty in how they seek goodness and to be a virtuous person. Virtue. Uh, secondly, knowledge. Of course, this would include the basic knowledge of God in Jesus Christ, of the gospel. It would include the deeper things in Scripture and in theology, these things we learn. But especially what's in view here is wisdom, that knowledge applied in the direction of virtue. Because you and I both know that we can know the right thing to do, but not quite how to do it. You might have a friend who's struggling and you want to encourage them, but you wonder, if I say this, will that actually discourage them or will that actually encourage them? And so what true knowledge or wisdom or prudence does is that's the way by which we select the best ways of going about doing good, uh, the best methods and the best actions by which we can accomplish the good ends God has for us. Thirdly, self-control. Self-control is simply that inner strength by which we refrain from doing the things that we know we ought not do. That, that inner strength that resists what our flesh wants, that we know is unhealthy for us, that, that resists those appetites, that resists those lusts, that resists those things that we know are going to damage both our bodies and our souls. We have great need of self-control in our day. And steadfastness is the opposite of this. Um, if if self-control is how we don't do the things that we know we shouldn't, steadfastness or perseverance, you could say, is that inner strength by which we do the things that we know we should do. How often is it that you know what you're supposed to be doing, but your flesh is just so, you're like, I'm just so lazy, I don't want to do that, I don't want to get up early and pray, I don't want to do my homework. Uh, and as a student, as if you're a student here, I know this gets us so much, it's like, why can I just not get motivated to study for this exam? Why can I not get motivated to just do this? And so I think especially, we have great need of steadfastness. Maybe that's the quality you need to pick to really think and pray about this year. How do I build steadfastness in my life to have, um, actually, the, the Greeks called this courage, this is, or, a, or fortitude, rather. Fortitude and courage within that, because it takes courage to actually face our own laziness and to actually muster up the strength to march ahead in what we know is right. Steadfastness. Uh, godliness. This refers to our, our relationship with God. It's, it's, we might call it piety. It's our worshipful spirits. What's our fervency of heart? 
How, how often do your thoughts fly to God throughout the day? How often do you reflect on Jesus during, from 9 to 5? We want to grow in godliness that God would be infused in our whole life, to become, grow in godliness. And then lastly, brotherly affection and love. These two go together, and this really is the capstone. As uh, Wayne read that verse earlier, that love binds it all together in perfect harmony. If faith is the foundation, as it were, love is the ultimate fruit. We want to be people whose lives are overflowing in love. Uh, what, what does um, the apostle say in Galatians 5, 6? He says, nothing counts but faith working through love. You build on the foundation of your faith that we might grow as self-controlled, steadfast, godly people who that all culminates in love. Love to God. Love to neighbor. That's the fruit of this adding to faith, the fruit of love. And so these qualities, again, these, you can't work this in yourself. These are spiritual graces that grow spiritually. All for the goal of more and more reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you might think, okay, that's great. I'm on board. I want to add to my faith these things. What's it going to take? What do I need to do? And this is, the, this is the key insight in this text. This is the key point uh, Peter's making. And it comes in his command he gives to us in verse 5. He says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So the secret ingredient, you could say, is spude. Spude, that's, that's the word that Peter uses here. It's this word effort. So in the Greek, it's spude. And I just like saying it, so I thought, uh, you guys can say it on your way home. Spude, spude. It's, it's a good one. Uh, but it's this idea of effort. It's the word for effort. And we don't like putting in effort, right? We often avoid effort. But Peter says, if you're going to grow in your faith, you need to make every effort. And we, we kind of forget this. We uh, often think that we're just going to grow in our faith by osmosis, just being around, just living. We'll become more like Jesus just by being alive. And apply that to another area. It would be crazy if you, um, if you wanted to get fit and healthy, and the person just goes and they stand in the gym. It's like, you're not going to grow in health by just standing in the gym. You need to put in some sweat and effort. You need to use those machines. You need to lift those weights. And in the same way, you're not going to become more like Christ just by merely sitting in this building. You need to apply your mind to the word being preached. You need to apply your heart and affections and direct them to God in praise. You need to engage in prayer. You, even just reading the Bible every day, if your eyes are just skimming across the page, no, you need to be pushing your mind in meditation. You don't want to just be speaking prayers. You want a heart engaged in prayer. We need to make every effort. But this is not just mere self-will. This isn't just my mere human-powered effort. Because remember, like we said, our goals here are not natural. Our goal is spiritual transformation, which means that we're going to need spiritual power to accomplish this. We need spiritual power. And amazingly, this is what God gives Look back to verse 3. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Amazing. God's divine power has given us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. God's given us power. And it says also, He's given us promises by which He's granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So not only has God given you a foundation of faith that you need to build on, He's equipped you with all the resources that you need. He's equipped you with all the power and energy that you need in order to accomplish this. He hasn't left us on our own. He's equipped us with everything we need. Yes, you need to put in effort, but this is no mere effort. It has to be a spirit-powered, faith-filled effort. Spirit-powered, faith-filled effort. He, he said, God has given us, by His divine power, everything we need. What is the power of God that we need other than the power of the Holy Spirit? Christ ascended that He might pour out His Spirit. And all good growth, all good things in your Christian life are going to come by virtue of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit's power if we are going to truly have a spiritual transformation. A spiritual transformation. But how do we attain this power of the Holy Spirit? Like, do you ever have someone say, it's like, oh, don't do it in your own strength. Do it in God's strength. And you think, what does that mean? Like, don't do it in your own strength. Do it in God's strength. Do it in the strength of the Holy Spirit. We attain the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. Jesus says, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The power of the Holy Spirit is attained by means of prayer. And so if we are truly dependent on the Spirit's strength, that means that we're going to be people who are praying for the Spirit's strength, who know our weakness in and of ourselves. We know our lack of steadfastness. And we pray that God would give us more of the Holy Spirit. So we need, if we're to have a Spirit-powered faith, that means we need a prayer-dependent faith. And so not just a Spirit-powered faith, but a promise-trusting faith. So it says in, in 3 and 4, we've been given power and we've been given promises. God has given us precious promises in His Word. There are promises that have brought us to faith, that the, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, and there's promises by which we grow in faith. Promises like, we've, like we saw earlier in, um, later in this passage, that if you grow in this way, you won't be ineffective and unfruitful. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall promises to hold on to, or in promises that encourage us. Because, you know, as we are going to go about this effort seeking to add to our faith, undoubtedly we'll get discouraged. We'll realize how much we fail and how hard this lifelong pursuit is. But that's where we cling to the promises of God, and they give us courage. We're, we're reminded that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us, that He will finish the work that He started in us that He will lead us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. God's promises are everywhere in His Word. It's up to us to go and search them out, hang on to them, cherish them, and use them in your efforts. So as we exercise effort to work on these qualities that we might look more like Jesus, we need to make sure that we're doing this in dependence on the Holy Spirit, praying always and for everything and trusting the promises of God, holding to His promises for encouragement. So yes, effort. Yes, you need to put in effort, but this needs to be a Spirit-powered, faith-filled effort.
So, so where does this leave us? Where's the big picture here? It's that you've been given a foundation, a foundation of the righteousness of Christ attained by faith. But you've been given this foundation that you might build upon it, not for forgiveness, not to curry God's favor, but to experience firmness in your faith and fruitfulness in your faith. And in order to attain this, we've been given the blueprint to follow. Peter's given us seven qualities to add to our faith, not mere external actions, but the cultivation of inward graces with the goal of being more and more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. But to get there, we need to put in effort, not mere willpower, but a spirit-powered, prayer-dependent, faith-filled, promise-trusting effort with the goal that we would increasingly reflect Christ before a watching world. And do you know what's most encouraging to me in all of this? It's, it's when I think on what we're told in Hebrews 12, 1 to 2, that we run this race of faith looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. You could say Jesus is the foundation layer and the finishing carpenter. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. And the beautiful thing is, we attained this foundation at the cost of the life of the Son of God. Jesus Christ laid down His life that we might be able to stand upon His righteousness. Sins forgiven, sins atoned for, and be clothed with His righteousness, to stand firm in God's sight, knowing that we're brought into a loving relationship with a heavenly Father. He laid down His life to give us this foundation, and He ascended that He might send His Spirit to complete the work that He started, to encourage us in all grace, to encourage us with the promises of God, to give us of His anointing and His power, that we might build a faith that glorifies Christ, that shows forth His beauty to the watching world, where Christ is the beginning, Christ is throughout, and Christ is the end of our faith. And so this call to add to our faith, it's not a burden. This isn't a mere duty, but it's a joy. To grow in conformity to Christ, that's the most joy-filled way to live. That's the best way to live. To live, to build on what God's given us, that we might experience a full and vibrant and fruitful faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your grace to us is so incredible. Your gift of righteousness not our own, grace that's greater than all our sin. And Lord, we do come to you in Christ's name. We see that we fall and fail in so many ways. We so often lack the self-control we need. We so often lack the steadfastness and love but you cover our sins and you free us in forgiveness to pursue you, to add to our faith. So Lord, we ask that you will fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will encourage our hearts by your promises, that you will strengthen weak knees, that you will lift up drooping hands, that we would run with perseverance, that we would build with fervor, that we would seek to cultivate a life of godliness pursuing conformity to Christ for your glory. Lord, give us strength for the task. It's greater than we can bear, but we know that through you, we can persevere and truly change and truly make a mark in this world. We thank you that you hear us 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and who for, who's for, for whose sake we ask these things. Amen. Let, let's respond um, as we stand and sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And let this be our call and our thought in this all. As we are motivated to pursue building on our faith, remembering that Christ is the foundation, and we're not going to accomplish anything in our mere effort, but it'll be Christ in us, working to His glory. So let, let's remember that as we sing.